Good to see everybody this morning. Um, we uh, are going to uh, we're going to finish uh, chapter twenty today. Uh, so we're going to uh, so we're in John uh, chapter twenty, and we're going to cover verses nineteen through thirty-one. There's only a couple more lessons left in our study in John. It's hard to believe we're getting close to the end. Um, but anyway, so John uh, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. <clears throat> then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and I put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. Then reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you again for our time we set aside in the week so we can study others as we prepare for our morning worship. And we just thank you for this time. Father, again, we ask that your word, uh, along with the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, we ask that you be our teacher this morning and give us understanding, Father, and, and uh, change us uh, through your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> so this morning we have the encounter uh, with what we have, who, ha who we have called Doubting Thomas, right? We have heard about Thomas. And so... Um, John tells us here in the first half of 19 that it was the same day, the same evening. So this is still Sunday. This is Sunday evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut and when the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Now let's stop there just for a minute. Now, earlier in the day, right, uh, the disciples have, have seen the empty tomb. Okay, Mary has come and she's uh, testified that she's talked with the Lord. She's seen him. She spoke with him. But it is apparent here by, the, by John's account that they still didn't really understand what was going on. They're still, their, their minds are probably just whirling, right? Just trying to take in what is exactly happening here. 
Um, there's a lot of unknowns for them. They're unsure. And by what John tells us, they're afraid, right? They're afraid. They, uh, they're afraid of the Jews. Why? Because the Jews had just crucified Jesus. It had Jesus crucified by the Romans, let's be clear. But, but because of the, the Jews that he was crucified. And now it's reasonable if you were in that band of brothers, is it reasonable to expect maybe I'm next? You know, it's very possible, right? Maybe I'm next. I'm with the band. And so they're still, they don't know what's, they're not sure what's going on. So they are here gathered uh, and they are, they are afraid. They're huddled together in uh, this upper room. The doors are locked. Again, because they're afraid, well, now the Jews, uh, they may come looking for us as well. Now, one might think that the idea that uh, Jesus was alive again, that that might put an end uh, to all of their fears, but it was not the case, apparently. Uh, They were a bit slow uh, to understand, to grasp what was really taking place. So let's finish verse 19 and read the 21. So they are assembled there for the fear of the Jews, and Jesus came, John tells us, and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed him his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. Now this uh, this greeting, this phrase that Jesus is, that Jesus used here, peace. Uh, be with you or peace to you. Uh, this, this is a standard greeting um, among the Jews, of one Jew to another. It's a standard way they would greet each other in passing, in social settings. Uh, and even to this day, the Jews still use this phrase as a greeting. Um, one Jew I may say to his friend, they will say, Shalom Aleichem. Right, they would. That's the thing they would say. That's using the the the, um, the, the language here, uh, and it would be of peace. Upon, peace be upon you. That's what it means. Peace be upon you. And then the other, if he's greeted with that, shalom alechem. The other one will respond, alechem shalom, or upon you be peace. So it was a it was a reply. It was a back and forth. Right. Sometimes you'll hear him even uh, shorten and just say shalom, right, as a greeting to say hello or even goodbye. Right, if you leave when you part, and it's just a standard greeting, um, and the root word here is peace. Calvin said uh, he expanded upon because we're going to talk a little bit about what this may mean. But uh, the, he says the phrase really, if you wanted to break it down into just uh, some different words, uh, the phrase would mean uh, "May you be well and prosperous." It's an honorable greeting, isn't it? It's an honorable greeting for one. Uh, believer to another, right? One, in this case, we're talking about Jews, right? A Jewish thing. Um, But it's interesting here uh, to note that Jesus said this not once, but He said it twice. He said it two times. Now, a lot of scholars look at this and um, they they would say, well, this, this was some sort of signal and Jesus was trying to tell them something. Well, if you remember, uh, the words that he uses here are very similar uh, to the words that Jesus used uh, on the night of his execution, the night of his betrayal, right? You remember back in in John 14, these are Jesus' words. He says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not of the world gives do do I give you. 
Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Remember, we talked about that was his legacy. Jesus was leaving was his peace. Right, his peace that uh, in the middle of turmoil, right? Because Jesus was going through a lot as he was facing the cross, right? A lot of things going through his head. We talked a little bit about him. We just probably only scratched the surface, right? Really about what was really going on with him. But he had peace with it, didn't he? Uh, and he's offering that to the believers, right? A legacy, a legacy of peace in the middle of difficult difficulty, of, of turmoil in this world. You can have my peace. I'm leaving it with you. So, so even before his death, he promised uh, his peace for his people. Now he's past that. He's past. He, he's been raised from the dead. And now he, he enters into the gathering. And remember, and we talked about this last week, you know, just how that happened. Okay, we, we really can't be sure, right? Did he just kind of slip in quietly? Um, did he unlock the door and come in? Uh, has his, his new body, his, his glorified body, was it able to pass through walls? Maybe, right? I, I wouldn't put it past him, right? If that, that'd be either way, right? I think it's, it, it works. We're, we just really can't be sure, but we know he's here and he's, he's in the middle. And he enters and he enters with this greeting, peace be with you. As to say, hey, I'm here. It's okay. It's going to be okay, right? Then he did what? He showed him his hands and his side. Why? Because his hands had been pierced as well as, or his wrist, we can't really be sure, but he showed him his hands. Right? If, if I show you my hand, you can also see my wrist, right? So either way, we're not 100% sure. But he showed him his hands and then he showed him his side. As if to say what? What was he, what was, he was demonstrating this, right? I, I, I did what I said I was going to do. I have, I, have, I have offered my life as a living sacrifice. I have done that. And guess what? I have won that peace that I promised you before I was going to be crucified. I have won that peace for you now. I give it to you. I've won it. Death could not hold me. Because isn't that the ultimate fear in this life? Is death, right? That's the ultimate, that's the ultimate thing, right? We've, people fear death, and they should if they don't know where they're going, right? Uh, but he says, I've, con- I've conquered that. I have won peace for you, and now I offer it to you. And of course, and then he says it, he says it twice. Here in verse, uh, in verse 21, the second half of verse 21, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now, uh, according to Sproul, and uh, this, is, this is John's version of Jesus giving the Great Commission. Okay, this is, this is John's uh, version of that. Here, we see Jesus doing a couple things. Uh, mainly what Jesus is doing is he is commissioning his disciples into the world. Right, he is sending them. The Father has sent him. Jesus, throughout his ministry, he talked so much about, right, coming from, I am from the Father. The Father and I are one. The Father sent me. Everything I've spoken, right, everything the Father has spoken, I have spoken. All these things, this unity among the Father. And now he's saying, okay, in the same way that the Father sent me, I am now sending you. So all those things you got to be thinking about, right, of, of Jesus, the way he was talking about and the way he was sent, the manner he was sent. So Jesus is commissioning now his disciples uh, to go into the world, to go to every tribe, right? To every tongue, to every nation. And tell them about what? What Jesus has done. 
Tell them about, I want you to, you have to go tell them about the work that Jesus has done here. Now, John, again, here in, in John's gospel, uh, Jesus gave the commission in the context of his own mission, right? The Father sent me here, and just as he sent me here, I am now sending you. This is a really way, this is a, this is okay, I'm, it's about to be a transition. He knows that I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be here forever. I am going to now depend on you men to carry on the mission that I have now started. Verse, let me back up. Well, this is, so at this point here in John's gospel, when he, he said that, he did something unusual. Uh, it is actually, and it's admittedly, it's something, and Sproul admits it, uh, it's something difficult to understand. Okay, this next verse. Verse Verse 22. So he said that, he's, as the Father sent me, so I send you. He says, and when he said that, when he said this, Jesus breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus, we've already talked about. Jesus has talked about the Holy Spirit, right? He's already kind of given them the plan of what's going to happen, right? It's good that I go away. If I don't go away, I can't send the helper. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, right? He told them that the Spirit would come. So this is not the first time they've heard about the Spirit, but it was, it was he had given a, a somewhat of a time frame. He wasn't specific, but he gave a time frame. And it's going to be when? It was going to be after the ascension. Right? It was after he was going to leave. When I go to the Father, remember he says, it's good that I go to the Father, right? Because if I, if I don't go back to the Father, I can't send the Spirit. So he's given them kind of a time frame. And we know... Because we know Acts, right? Uh, we have it recorded for us in Acts 2. The Holy Spirit did come, right? The Father and the Son did send the Holy Spirit in an amazing way, right? He came at Pentecost. It's recorded for us again in Acts 2. So right here, uh, we see Jesus telling them, receive the Holy Spirit. So what's going on? Well, uh, again, Dr. Sproul points out there's been many attempts to explain this. Um, Instead of going through all these other attempts to explain, he says, I'm just going to tell you the way I see it. <coughs> Typical Sproul fashion. I'm just going to tell you the way I see it, right? And he provides some, some context. And if you remember, and we've talked about this before in the lesson, because John the Baptist was, was like this and some of the other uh, teachers. But you remember the Old Testament prophets. When they were given uh, words to say, you remember they, only, they didn't only use words. A lot of times they would use object lessons. Remember, the, they would demonstrate. They would, they would bring uh, the words of the Lord like he was given, but they would also demonstrate something. They would have an object lesson, usually with a hand gesture or something. They had something to go along with it, right? So they were saying things with their, with their mouth. They were showing things with uh, their hands or, or, or some sort of other illustration. Well, Dr. Sproul says, I believe that's what Jesus is doing here. He says, I believe... But that's what Jesus is doing here. This, this was not a surprise Pentecost. Uh, this, was, this was not some special advance showing, right? Uh, a, a, a smaller Pentecost, uh, just a, a special one just for the disciples. Um, Sproul says, rather, this was an object lesson. It was an object lesson to them about what was going to happen on Pentecost. Now, what's the significance, right? The breathing on them. Well, 
It's significant that he illustrated uh, to the disciples the reception of the Holy Spirit by breathing on them, by exhaling. Right? If you remember, uh, when, when, uh, back earlier in uh, John 3, when, we, when John tells us about Nicodemus, remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night? What did, what did Jesus tell him? He says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And there's a couple of verses in, towards the end of it in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from, and you cannot tell where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, in that verse, Jesus used some of what was maybe called a play on words, uh, because the Greek word translated wind, he talks about the wind, the wind blows where it wants, Right? is the same word is translated as spirit. And the Greek word is pneuma. You know, pneuma, where we get like pneumatic tools, right? Air-powered tools, right? That's the word, okay? Uh, Jesus was saying the pneuma, the wind, blows where it wishes. So is everyone who is born of the pneuma. He uses the same word. Uh, this word pneuma can also be translated breath. It can also be translated Breath. So, the take here that Dr. Sproul is presenting that when Jesus breathed on his disciples, he exhaled, he used his breath, he was equating his exhaling, his breath, with the giving of the Holy Spirit. Again, as an object lesson, as a dramatization, if you wanted to say, right? So Jesus, had, again, he had already promised to send the Holy Spirit. It's coming. I've already, he, he's talked about it. And, and now he's offering this, this drama, this, this object lesson. You said my right, you, yes, sir. Um, my study Bible was, was edited by scroll. And this is, a, this is the note it has for 22. It says, the verb appearing only here in the New Testament describes God's breathing into Adam after forming his body from the dust. From the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Genesis 2 7. The life that is in Jesus is bringing about a new creation. So that's the study note that's from here. Breath, life, right? <clears throat> good, good point. Anybody else have any other comments about this particular verse that you've looked at? We're going to move from it in a minute. I just thought that, that was what came to my mind originally when you brought that up. Mm -hmm. the, the creation, the, uh, right. Right. It's almost like it's a, a re, the, the, regener, the regeneration. It again, you, I, I'm, I'm offering what what Sproul puts exactly. forth yeah, as yeah. a as a. I'm just thinking what comes to mind. Right. That's that's their actual regeneration. Um, the other, of course, I read Calvin, um, and he did not disagree that this this was not a special. Advanced showing of Pentecost. Okay, this was, and they agreed this. That's not what this was. There wasn't an actual giving of the Spirit at this time. This was a, a foretaste of what was to come. Anybody else? Anything else? Okay. So, and 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 of course we 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 know because when you look at the um, some of the other, uh, if you look at the other Gospels accounts, because we have works recorded for us in Acts two, we know Pentecost really did happen. I believe it's Luke and Luke's account, um, which which is uh, in Luke's account before Jesus ascends. Remember what what, he, what does he tell him? He tells the disciples to do what: go and remain in Jerusalem, right, and wait, 
right? For what? For the giving, for the, for the Holy Spirit, right? I want you to go, don't, don't leave yet. He didn't, notice he didn't send them out on the mission, right? Jesus is commissioning him here, um, but they didn't leave. They, he told them to do what? Go wait. Go wait for Pentecost is about to happen, right? So uh, I think when we look at all of them, I think uh, I, I would tend to lean towards this um, explanation. So, so back to kind of summarize this, it, it, was a, it was a symbolic action, not a real giving of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but he did illustrate, right? He gave them a foretaste of what would come. Remember, you remember the accounts of Pentecost, right? It was, you remember the, the whole place shook, right? And it was like a wind came through, right? They had flame, what's up? Tongues of flame, all those things, that amazing things. Like you, it's, you wake up this morning to the wind, it's going crazy, right? Uh, I had a bunch of uh, tin stacked up on some wood that I had, had cut and it, it's flipping it over. It's making all kind of racket, right? I can't even. It just happens, right? It's and and you can't see it. You don't know where it's coming from, but it's doing something, isn't it? It's working. It's 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 doing something. So anyway, that's uh, that's that's the the take here on on this verse. Now, if that wasn't a little bit uh, difficult to understand, uh, what about the next verse? <laughs> Okay, verse twenty-three. So Jesus has has he, he says um, received the, and he he breathed on them and he said to them receive the Holy Spirit and he continues it's the same phrase right same same talk if you forgive the sins of any they are forgiven them if you retain the sins of any they are retained. Is Jesus giving man, right? These are mortal men, right? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Um, is, is Jesus here giving man, mortal man, the ability to forgive sins? I heard some no's. Good. It should be a resounding no, right? Absolutely not. Right? I can forgive sins to you. But that doesn't mean that your sins are forgiven by God. Correct. In relation to, to your standing right before God. And I think that's a good point that you added. Um, well, so he's not giving man the ability to forgive one's sins before God. Okay, I, I think uh, what Tim says is, is, is a good comment, right? We can forgive one another, right, when things happen. But, but I'm not God. Only God Himself can forgive sins, correct? Of you that you've committed. So, so but what? What? So what was Jesus doing? Well, here uh, Jesus was establishing uh, the apostolic authority of the disciples that they were about to take on. Okay, we we referred to that. We've, we've, we you've heard us talk about apostolic authority. Uh, the apostles wrote uh, the New Testament, right? There was there's there's some there's some um, qualifications for apostle, right? You had to be commissioned by Jesus Himself. You had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection, right? Uh, and those, of course, that was limited to a group of people. There are no more once the, all the, these original apostles died. That's it. It stops. No more, right? So here He's establishing that. And again, it's it's not full yet. He's given them a taste of what the Holy Spirit's going to look like. They, they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. But under the power of the, and this is Dr. Sproul's words, under the power of the Holy Spirit that they would receive at Pentecost, they would have the authority to do what? To forgive people's sins? No. But to declare God's condemnation of sin. And also 
declare his offer of forgiveness. You see the difference? You see what he's saying? You men are going to carry on the mission. And it is going to be your job to do what? To declare God's condemnation of sin. We are guilty before a holy God, right? But not just that, right? But offer his way of forgiveness, which is what? Faith in Jesus, the Son of God. Do you see what, what he's saying here? You're going to be holding up where men stand. You're going to be challenging them, right? Where they are and what's the offer of the gospel. Calvin says here um, that while, this is a quote from Calvin, while Christ enjoins the apostles to forgive sins, he does not convey to them what is particular, peculiar to himself. Okay? Because he's God. He's not conveying them, uh, he's not giving them the, the, the ability to forgive sins. He says, it belongs to him, because Jesus is God. It belongs to him to forgive sins. This honor, so far as it belongs particularly to himself, he does not surrender to the apostles, but he enjoins them in his name to proclaim the forgiveness of sins that through their agency he may reconcile men to God. In short, Properly speaking, it is He alone who forgives sins through His apostles and ministers. Right? The apostles, again, a limited group of men. Once they died, no more. But who's carrying that on? The ministers, right? Ministers of the Word. Men who are called to preach. And to preach what? Preach um, what He just says here, right? There's a... We're, we're dead in our trespasses and sins, but also preaching what? God's provided a way through His Son for forgiveness of your sins. Hmm. Any questions about that verse? Any comments? I think speaker. I think the significance of that is um, we see it in some of the life of the church. Um, and I, I say it with fear and trembling that when when I took vows before this congregation and this congregation took vows uh, to me as your minister, it was to uh, receive the word of God uh, through the preaching of the word. And there's a twofold responsibility uh, that the things that are said as thus saith the Lord absolutely without equivocation have to be from his word. Oh, I'm going to turn the sanctuary Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Somebody's trying to tell me it's time to stop. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hurry up. Hurry up. There you go. Is this still on? Yeah, this is still on. Hey. There's a, a cross-reference in mine that's 1 Corinthians 5, 4 and 5, which is the um, is Paul telling the Corinthian church to um, essentially uh, deliver the man unto Satan for the destruction of his flesh, the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. This is the man who was doing the, the sin with his, I believe it was his stepmother. Okay. Um, and so I, I think that's interesting because it, it's, it shows right there that the church and church discipline and in the proper preaching of the gospel and application of it, that sometimes you have to administer that discipline. And so you're not withholding forgiveness in the sense of eternal judgment, 
But in that moment, you're telling them you're not repenting. I have to follow what the Word says. Right. And that authority that you said has been passed down. Yeah, I'm, you got interrupted, so if you want to... I think that's it's related to the other part of this, that for, for the minister or for elders to say something is not sin, if it is, is actually not a... Um, it is not just harmful for them, it's also harmful for the Lord's sheep. But also to, to, not, to not be clear about God's Word, to maybe unbind someone's conscience, um, take a weight away where the Spirit hasn't given authority to do that, um, is not proper either. So it is um, this section about the, the giving of the Holy Spirit and empowering the apostles to do the work that the Lord Jesus died to give them um, is a serious thing. Authority in the church is not, it's not lightweight, it is glorious, but only insofar as it points the minister and the, and the people of God to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he told them in Matthew 16, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And so there is a, a proper respect, not because of a man, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And with fear and trembling, uh, we, we ignore <coughs> what his leaders say. Um, he said the Holy Spirit would be given to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And I think those are things that, that we should consider in a great way um, as, we, as we consider hearing God's Word, especially every Sunday, but reading it in our homes, but certainly every Sunday. Mm -hmm. This is the Lord's Word for His people. Amen. The key, the key he mentioned the keys of the kingdom, right? Is that a literal key? No, that's that's the message of the gospel, isn't it? That's what that is. That's the message of the gospel. That is the answer. That is salvation. That is pointing people to salvation, uh, giving them that gospel account. Thank you. Anything else? Any yeah, I, think, yeah. you know, I never realized. I never thought about this as being part of church discipline before. But you know, if you withhold forgiveness, um, then obviously the church uh, is telling somebody that what you know their lifestyle is not correct. And I think that's a big issue in our church today, why we have so much apostasy and, and people, you know, they're, they're letting people get away with things that are obviously wrong by God's, by God's standard. But we're not doing, you know, somebody's not doing their part where they're, they're not withholding forgiveness. They're saying they're, they're forgiving it. They're, they're allowing it. They're, they're, you know, so that's a big issue in, in our mm -hmm. church today. Oh, yeah. Why, why, why? I agree. I agree. I heard somebody say, it's not what you preach, it's what you allow. Think about that for a minute. Hmm. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> Some of that's even credited to the PCA. It's, it's getting that way. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what do you allow? Hopefully we'll people stand up uh, against that kind of thing. Amen. Next, uh, we come to uh, the account of Thomas, or what we have come to know him as Doubting Thomas. Verses 24 and 25. So given what has just happened, now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So he missed all this. And the other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. And so he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails. And I put my hand into his side. I will not believe. 
Thomas, Thomas had missed. Again, all this, what we just gone over, um, Tom, Thomas has missed this. So he, he's, he's some, we don't, uh, John doesn't tell us where he is, right? We don't, we don't know. Um, but we know when they told him about it, he's skeptical. He's like, ah, I, I'm not going to believe until I see. I've got to see it for myself. It's almost like he's saying this, thanks for telling me this. And I can see you guys are very excited, but I got to see it for myself. Hmm. Unless I see him, unless I hear him, unless I touch him, I will not believe. Well, good news, right? He got his chance. Uh, verses 26 to 27, it says, And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came. Again, the doors were shut. I think some, some, some um, versions say locked again. And he stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Same greeting as before. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here. Put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Hmm. Again, John, John just tells us that eight days have passed. We don't know what's going on those last eight days. We, we, we have John doesn't give us any idea of what's happening in those eight days. Maybe, maybe in that time frame, maybe the other disciples uh, to, told Jesus, the ones who were with them, uh, except except Thomas. He says, um, maybe maybe they got to Jesus and said, you know, Lord, he's not going to believe until he sees you. Maybe they communicated to him some way, right? We don't know. Um, of course, the fact that Jesus is also God and he's. The ability to know men's hearts, right? We've it's, John's told us about that, right? In John's gospel, the way Jesus knew men's heart. Maybe Jesus already knew that, and very possibly so. He didn't need the disciples to tell him. He probably already knew that. There's but significance to eight days and, and um, circumcision. No, I I don't think so. I think it was just a he's just recording it as it happened. Um. So here. Here, this, this second appearance. Now again, assuming that for a minute that maybe they've told him, or again, I think the better assumption is Jesus probably already knows, right? That Thomas has got a real issue here. Um, so this second appearance, Jesus makes a point to visit Thomas. He knows Thomas is there. And it's like he, he comes into the room. He's in their midst, right? Did he, what's, what's going on there exactly? I can't be sure, but, um, but he's there. And Thomas, and he says, what? Thomas, here, I'm, I'm going to give you what you want. I'm here now. He says, put your finger into my wounds. Here, here I am. Put your hand into my side, the side that I was pierced. Notice one thing that John, there's a detail that John doesn't offer. John doesn't say whether Thomas took him up on the offer. Right? We know Jesus is there. We see his words recorded. So we don't know exactly what Thomas's response here. It appears because again, John John doesn't tell us that that okay he he actually went and touched or anything. It appears that he didn't have to. It appears that Thomas just just seeing Jesus standing there in the flesh, hearing from his mouth was enough. And then at this point, Thomas gave the highest confession of faith in Jesus that we read anywhere. In Scripture. 
It is in a posture of worship. It's from a posture of reverence and adoration. Verse 28, Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Wow. He he didn't call Jesus his master. He didn't call him his teacher or rabbi or even Messiah. The word translated here, Lord, is the same word in the Greek as the Old Testament word for God's name that we have in the Old Testament, Yahweh. Lord. You know, in your Bible, it's, it's made a capital O. It's all capital. The O, R, and D are, are capital, but lower. It's Yahweh. That's what Thomas is saying here. You are God. You are the God. You are the only God. <coughs> Thomas, Thomas confessed that Jesus was Yahweh. His God standing right before him in the flesh. And notice too that because in this confession, Thomas is confessing the deity of Christ. Okay? Clearly, the deity of Christ. He is God. There was no, and notice there was no hint of rebuke from Jesus. Now, why do we say that? Why is that a, why is that a thing? Right? Well, you know, in, uh, there are many accounts in, in, in the scriptures. One that, uh, that Spruill referenced was over in Acts 14 after, after Paul and Barnabas had healed the crippled man. Do you remember what the, the people observed this and what did they claim? They basically said, these two men are gods, right? And they did what? They, felt they attempted to worship Paul and Barnabas, right? What did Paul and Barnabas do? Hey, stop. We're men just like you. They don't worship us, right? It's very clear. Don't don't worship us. We see it um, when uh, when angels made appearances to man, right? Uh, men would fall down and worship. Oh no, no, don't worship me, right? I'm not God. Nothing like that happened here. Nothing like that happened. Not only did Jesus receive his worship, he pronounced a benediction on it. Verse twenty nine. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Now with these these words, Jesus put his benediction, right? What's another word for benediction? A blessing, right? A benediction, a blessing, right? On all who, he, he put his benediction, his blessing on all who would receive him as Lord and as God. That's, hey, you and I are in that group, right? You and I are in that group. He even, again, he even added his benediction on those who would believe but have not yet seen. Again, that's the group we're in. The ones who, who believe in Christ, we have never seen him. And to fully understand what Jesus meant here, we need to understand the concept of blessedness as we find it in the Bible. Now, some would describe blessedness as a, as a degree of happiness or joy. And there's definitely an element in that, okay, of that in there, but it's more. Uh, Dr. Sproul says the primary meaning of blessedness is to be looked on favorably by God. Do you see the difference? It's one thing to be to experience happiness or joy. That that's good. Nothing wrong with that. But he's saying it's it's uh, the primary meaning of blessedness is to be looked on favorably by God. Now that changes things a little bit. That adds a whole other dimension, doesn't it? I, I want to be blessed. Right? Yes, I want to be looked on favorably 
by God. It, it has this idea of blessedness has more to do with the disposition of God than it has to do with our feelings. Okay? So when Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed, he was saying God is pleased that there are people who believe in Christ who have never seen him. That pleases God. When you think about um, when we think about knowledge, we think about ways to pursue knowledge. Uh, Dr. Spooley, as y'all know, was a professor of uh, philosophy. He was always concerned uh, with the question of epistemology, right? The theory of knowledge. That's what that is, right? And there are a lot of different ways how we gain knowledge, right? Many, many different ways. But what's the highest way that we can know something? Of all the methods of gaining knowledge, what's the highest way? Dr. Spooley says, I submit to you that the highest source of truth we can possibly have is the Word of God. Nothing higher than that that we can have to have truth. The testimony that we find in the Word of God is higher than any other form. And that's what Jesus was saying here. Jesus was saying um, that if you believe in Christ today, you and I are in that category, then it's because of what? It's the testimony of sacred Scripture, isn't it? That's why we believe and he's holding that high. The Bible is a, a better source of knowledge and of truth than any other source. And the author of the Bible, God himself, is pleased. It pleases God when they hear that testimony of the word and they believe and they have the same confession that Thomas brought. My Lord and my God. Now I need to hurry because we're almost out of time. The last two verses, 30 and 31. These are, if, if there has to be a reason why John wrote this book, uh, then here it is. This is the climactic verse of the entire group. John tells us, verse 30 and 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Why did John write this book? Other than, obviously, the Holy Spirit inspired him. What's he saying? That you, everyone, reading this book, may believe Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. And He doesn't stop there, right? It's not just belief in that. It's what? It's belief and believing that what? What's his, he says, I want you to have. I want you to have life in His name. Because He's the only source of life, isn't He? Hmm. John, as he finishes this, echoes Jesus' own words. In 10.10, Jesus said, What I have come, that you may have life. Dr. Sproul ended, I'll finish this with a quote from him, because we are almost out of time. People who don't have Christ don't have life, and they don't even know it. To have the life God created us to have, we must find it in the Son of God. Amen and amen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Father, we ask again that you, as we prayed, as we opened, that you would use your word, Father. Use it to change us. Father, make us more like Christ, not for our own sake, Father, but for the sake of your kingdom. And we pray that we would, we would take... Um, the message that you have given us and take it to a lost and a dying world.
And I pray that you will use your words to save people. And Father, today, as we leave now and we go to our worship service, Father, we pray for our minister. Father, who has been called, Father, to preach your word. <coughs> Father, we know that sometimes it is difficult because a lot of times, Father, it's a difficult message. Father, but we pray that uh, you would continue to use him in a mighty way um, to be your mouthpiece here in our congregation and beyond. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.